Hey, this is Scott. Thanks for checking out the podcast of Grace Fellowship Church. Hope it's encouraging for you and helps you take your next steps in your faith journey. Enjoy. I, I bet you probably had a conversation with someone. You might know someone, or you might be the kind of person where you've heard this kind of phrase, well, what if? What if? What? It's a what if kind of person. Uh, you would hear them say things like this. Well, what if I don't make it into that school? What if that deal falls through? What if we never get pregnant? What if that storm actually hits our house? What if we don't win the big game? What if I catch that virus? What if I don't know what to say at the meeting? What if we never uh, overcome this illness or never fully bounce back from this thing financially? Here's what I know, that if you know someone like that, you might be someone like that. People that are like that live in a constant state of like unsettled, anxious, and like anxiety and concern. There's always in that constant state of what if, what if, what if, what if, what if. And I'm not even saying that it's wrong to always plan for those kinds of worst case scenarios, but this is someone, when they, when they, when they process life, it's just hard to find balance in the instability of life. And I've got someone in my life that's, that's like that, and I've heard someone describe that one time that, that sometimes it feels like they're constantly being chased down by a herd of wolves. And so it's like this constant, what if? How will I make my way through these challenges? I want to suggest to you that there's a different kind of person that we can aspire to be. That, in, that, that when the situation shows up, when we feel frustrated, when we feel like, I don't know what's going to happen in this situation, when we've called out to God over and over again, when we're frustrated because he's not doing what we want him to do, or when we want him to do it, or the way that we want it to do it, that rather than being a what-if person, that you and I could be an even-if kind of person. Even if I don't ever get married. Even if... I don't make it into that school. Even if the job doesn't pan out, even if we never have kids, even if I have to wait longer and God doesn't fix the problem that's in front of me, even if that storm that's coming actually hits our house, even if we never recover from the diagnosis or from that setback financially, even if, even if people live a different kind of life, their temperament is so very different because this is what they do. They finish that phrase. They complete that sentence. They have a plan for those eventualities. They have that kind of direction. In fact, I would say it this way, that what if people constantly generate questions and even if people create clarity? What if kind of people are constantly generating different kinds of questions, but even if people create clarity? What if constantly has you anxious, wondering, not knowing what to do, but even if people say, you know what, even when I, even when I don't know how this is going to come out, I'm going to anchor my attitude and my soul in a different kind of direction. So even if we don't win the big game, I'm still going to come back to practice and I'm going to hit it hard so that we're better the next time around. Even if I never get married, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to honor God in my singleness and I'm going to leverage my flexibility to maximize my kingdom impact. Even if I don't get that job, I'm going to give that interview my 100%. I'm going to knock 
knock it out of the park and I'm gonna hustle till I get there. Even if my boss doesn't recognize my hard work, I'm gonna step into my workplace and I'm gonna work as unto the Lord even if they never recognize that. Even if that storm shows up and hits our house, I'm gonna praise God that we ever had that house in the first place. Even if, even if, gives you that kind of confidence. You can step into that, into that place of confidence to say, I have direction, and I know what to do. I have direction over the doubt. I have an approach over the anxiety. You're prepared to go forward, and this is so critical because life is always full of, of constant little things that are, that are put in front of you, and rather than saying, what if this thing pans out that way, I would say, even if, even if, and it's not just about like those major things that might cause frustration or hurt for you, but it's about little things and just the way we go through life, like how should I feel about this situation? Uh, what should I pursue? What should I do? What's ultimately really important for me? What should really happen in this stage of reality? And we find ourselves processing these kind of situations all the time. I want to suggest to you that as a follower of Jesus Christ, that we have one of the best even-if situations. We have a clarifier for those who would say they follow after Jesus, that they're Christians. And this clarifier is this, that the center of everything in my life is God. That God is at the center of everything. And whenever we find ourselves in these situations and in these scenarios, when we feel tempted, when we feel wondering, like, like what's going to happen? What should we pursue? What ultimately matters to me? What should I go after? We remind ourselves that God is at the center of everything. And here's what I'm going to tell you, and maybe it's not always true, but I think it's often true for us that these frustrations we might feel in life, when we're going through life and we might not know what's going to happen around the corner, these frustrations, these hurts that we feel come because we don't live as if God is the center of our lives. In fact, I'll, I'll go so far as to say that some of our hurt some of our frustrations, some of those things when we say, God, why am I having to walk through this? We think it's because, God, I deserve to have a certain level of comfort, of, of a lack of anxiety, an easy existence, and we might think, God, there's no way I should have to deal with this, and the fact that I'm even dealing with it is the thing that causes me that kind of frustration. And yet, what? here's what I want to remind us. This clarifier that no matter what goes on, that it should lead us to the, to the biggest, this clarifier should lead us to the biggest even if situation. This clarifier that since God is at the center of every situation in our whole world, that here's what we know to be true. That when we call ourselves a Christian, we can say, I will worship God no matter what happens in my life. No matter what happens, even if I feel frustrated, I'm gonna worship God. Even if, I don't know where the next paycheck is gonna come from. I'm gonna worship God. And some of you might, might be asking, hey, what is distinct between putting your hope in God and worshiping God? Because you can put your hope in God and still be frustrated when you're waiting for something to happen. You can put your hope in God and you can believe that he's in control and that he's good and still not worship him in the moment and choose to say, you know what, God, I'm going to worship you when this thing finally happens in my life. 
What I'm saying is that because God is the center of everything, that we should say that no matter what's happening in our life, I'm gonna choose to worship God, and I'm not simply talking about a disposition of putting our hope in him, but it's choosing to lift your hands in worship. Choosing to sing even when you don't feel like it. Choosing to pray that we would step into these moments and we should sing and we should submit and we should serve and we should give and we should humble ourselves before God because no matter what happens, God is the center of my universe and I can trust in him and I will choose to worship him. And we need to move our hearts from this place of what if, I don't know how this is gonna turn out. I'll worship you, God, when I see it finally pan out to say, say even if, even if it doesn't feel the same way, even if he never loves me again, I will choose to worship you. I will choose to worship God. You and I should get our hearts to this place that Habakkuk took his heart to. In this series, we're talking about what do we do when God doesn't come through, when we have all those what if questions and we're studying this short book of Habakkuk, three short chapters. And we see Habakkuk be frustrated when when he looks around him and he sees people and civilization falling apart and you know what he probably thought? He probably thought, you know what, I'm surrounded by idiots. And have you ever thought that when you've, walked, when you've looked at people around you like, I feel like I'm surrounded by idiots. I think Habakkuk probably thought that too when he looked around him. Except for whatever we experience, I believe that his was worse. The people around him just could not get it together. And Habakkuk would call out to God, God, do you even see all of the evil and all of the wicked around here? God, what if it never gets any better? What if these evil people keep being idiots? I can't handle this anymore. God, are you even out there? Do you see this? Are you going to respond? And these three short chapters in the book of Habakkuk written 600 years before Jesus is this dialogue between Habakkuk and God, and God answers him. And he says, you know what, Habakkuk, I am going to deal with it. And I see the kind of wickedness that you see on a daily basis. And here's how I'm gonna deal with it. I'm gonna deal with it through bringing justice about. And I'm gonna hold these people in your community accountable for their behavior and their attitudes and their arrogance and their actions and their lack of mercy and their idolatry. But here's the thing, Habakkuk, I'm not gonna pull a Thanos. I'm not just gonna snap my fingers and fix everything. Instead of that, here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna let your enemy come in and your enemy is gonna crush your country. And it's going to bring about my justice and my judgment, and that's coming. And I could understand why that would have upset him. God, I thought you were righteous. I thought you were holy. I thought you can't look at things that are unclean, and yet you have, I mean, I know we're bad, God, but these people are way worse. And they're going to come in, and they're going to destroy us. God, why would you do that? What if these people that are even more evil than us get away with it? What if we get carried away? What if we lose everything? Here's what's so fascinating about this dialogue. I hope you've been reading through and read through Habakkuk at least once. It's just three short chapters. It's amazingly applicable to where we live. Here's what's so fascinating about how God interacted with Habakkuk. When, when Habakkuk voiced that, when he said, I'm frustrated, God didn't say, how dare you speak that way to me? 
God welcomed the complaint and the lament of Habakkuk, and really we see in Scripture a whole category, a whole genre of that kind of lament that the psalmists and the prophets would speak before God, and God welcomed that, and we learned that we can be real with how we feel, but we choose to go with what we know, and God promised Habakkuk that while he was going to use the Babylonians, these evil people, as the hand of judgment on the Jewish nation, he was going to hold them accountable, and this was such a huge deal. That's such a huge deal to us because there are times where we feel like justice hasn't been served. I got caught, but they didn't. Why is it at work? I'm being nice. I'm doing the right thing. And that person that's a jerk across the office and the other cubicle just now always gets away with it. Is that always going to be the case? And God says, you know what? I see and I care. And there's going to be a judgment. There's going to be an account that's given. You see, what I see I see everything and I see the heart and I actually, I know I hate it more than you do. It's worse than, I know it's worse than you even think it is. And I'm gonna do something, Habakkuk, that you wouldn't believe even if you were told God tells him. And though it feels like I am lingering, I am not delaying. And so this, this book is really this relationship, this back and forth between God and Habakkuk. And we open chapter three, the last chapter in this book, and, and Habakkuk hits this pivot point, this real turning point in his relationship with God, where he goes from someone who was asking what if questions to having an even if kind of faith. No matter what, even if I don't understand what's unfolding, even if I don't see the other side of this, even if I lose everything, I'm still gonna worship you, God. So let's open that book together in Habakkuk chapter three. If you have your Bible, if you need one, we've got stacks of them, you can keep it over there. It's our gift to you. In Habakkuk chapter three, we're gonna work our way through this and seek to understand the whole chapter as it fits together and kind of this bow that's wrapped around this whole book. And here's what, here's what it says. Chapter three, Habakkuk's prayer. It says, a prayer of Habakkuk the prophet according to Shigianoth. Isn't that fascinating? <laughs> now actually, when we read those kinds of things, it's like the kind of thing you just skim over really quickly. But as a teaching moment and as an aside, I actually wanna double click on this just for a moment because I think it tells us something that's really critical. When you look at also at the bottom, it says something else. It says, for the choir, the choir director from my stringed instruments is the last the last verse in this whole chapter. Why does that matter? It tells us a tremendous amount about how we read and how we understand what's right in front of us. So if I've opened my mail and I opened up a letter and at the top of it, it says, to whom it may concern, and then a bunch of words that come after that. I know that it's going to read very differently than if I get a nice little sheet of paper and it's folded in one of those little triangles like when you're in high school and it smells like perfume and I open it up and it says, dear Scott Sexy Pants or something like that at the top. You know, I'm going, I know that what's gonna happen is gonna be completely different. There are two different letters. That heading is telling me what I need to spec and how I'm gonna interpret what happens after that. And so here what Habakkuk is doing, it sets up for us what we read and what it ultimately means. This is very significant because knowing what you're reading helps you know how you are to read it. Why does that matter? Because there's lots of things in Scripture that are written in a genre or a format, and that genre or that format informs how we understand it and interpret it. 
And there's a lot of people who have twisted and distorted God's word by getting that wrong. And they read the wrong kind of, read the wrong kind of um, genre there, right? So he calls it a shigianoth. A shigianoth, what is that? A, a prayer of Habakkuk. So he's writing a prayer. It's Habakkuk the prophet. He's speaking from his prophetic office. It's a shigianoth. Um, we, there's only one other place where that shows up, and that's in the Psalms. And it's describing, and we don't really know everything about it, but it's describing some sort of song that the people of God are to come together and sing as a group, as an expression of worship. It would be like saying, hey, here are some lyrics, and it's to be sung to the tune of Amazing Grace or something like that, right? It's an instruction for them. So Habakkuk isn't just writing a prayer. Here's what he's doing. He's writing a poem. Remember what I said, the kind of letter that you open, and it's going to tell you how you understand it. He's, he's writing a poem. A poem is much different than prose. Now, as Westerners, we love prose. Prose is like carefully crafted arguments, uh, spelling out if this, then that, if this, then that. You need to know this bit of information, this bit of information, this bit of information, this bit of information. Its primary goal is to educate and inform. But a poem is very different than that. Uh, a, a, a prose has, it doesn't use a lot of floral language, not a lot of figures of speech, but poetry is very different, isn't it? Highly figurative. Things can mean two things at the same time. And the goal is not necessarily to communicate information. The goal is to communicate relationship and emotion. What's fascinating to me is all throughout the scripture, we see lots and lots and lots of poetry. Because it's trying to communicate to us not just information, but it's trying to communicate relationship and emotion that takes place. Now, surely there are narratives in Scripture. There are. Tells the story. First David did this, then David did that. There's lots of um, prose even in the book of Romans. This, because this is true, this is true, this is true, this is true. But so much of it is written in this heart language of a poem. Mary, when she finds out that she's going to carry the Messiah, she erupts into what her, is her magnificat, a, a, a poem of praise and worship before God. When you hold your children for the first time, you're not like, wow, six pounds, three ounces, 19 inches long, blonde hair. That's amazing information. <laughs> you don't do that. You go, oh my word. I can't even begin to express what I'm feeling right now. Nothing short of art and the aesthetic and the beauty of the best that humankind can conjure up, can express these emotions that we feel. And so we see that happen in Scripture over and over again. Mary, Jesus, when Jesus shows up, he says, how am I going to express the kingdom of God? Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the, the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst. Blessed are those who mourn. And he just weaves it together in this poetic moment. This is significant for us because if we don't understand what we're reading, we're going to twist it, we're going to distort it. There was a worship song that was written about 10 years ago, and it, it said this. When, so heaven meets earth like a sloppy wet kiss, and my heart turns violently inside of my chest. If you don't understand that it's a poem, you're going to say, wow, did they really see a large pair of lips come and kiss the earth, and, and all of a sudden my heart started rotating inside my chest cavity? No, because we know 
It's a poem, and it's meant to express just how irrational it was that God would send someone to represent himself with such a disregard for his own personal interest for the sake of everyone else that the only way to capture that is through our song, and is through our art, and is through our beauty. And that's what Habakkuk does. He writes it down, and he says, people... This is what God showed me. This is how I experienced the heart of God. Now, I want you to take it, and I don't want you just to understand it. I want you to feel it. I want it to hit something deep inside, and it needs to do something inside you so that it makes you erupt into a moment of worship. This is what Habakkuk does as he gives these people this song, is he looks back, he looks forward, and he looks up. He looks back, he looks forward, and he looks up. What do I mean by that? Let's look at verse 2 in the New American Standard Version. It says this, Lord, I have heard the report about you, and I fear. O Lord, revive your work in the midst of years. In the midst of years, make it known. In the wrath, in wrath, remember mercy. God, I heard something about you right now. We feel like we're in the middle of it. I'm feeling the anxiety. I'm feeling the concern. God, we've been going through it year after year after year. How long, God, till we experience not just your justice, but your blessing? In your wrath, remember mercy. And I'm, I, 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 in the midst of all that we're going through, Habakkuk would say, God, I'm calling on you to repeat that kind of mountain-moving, sea-splitting, earthquaking deliverance and miracle. God, I've heard about you in the past, and I want you to do it again in my life in this time. God, we need your mercy. So what he does is he looks back. And he reminds the people about what God has done in the history of Israel. And he pulls all of this imagery from the deliverance of the Israelite people from the hands of the Egyptians. And I'm going to kind of pick a couple of these phrases from the remaining verses here. This is what he says. He reminds the people through singing this song, God came from Temin, the Holy One from Mount Paran. What are those? Those are the boundaries of Israel. And it's talking about these moments when God showed up in their past. He says, his glory covers the heavens, his praise fills the earth, his splendor was like the sunrise. We experience this, the people of Israel experience this. Raised flash from his hand where his power was hidden. Plague went before him, pestilence followed his steps. Does that sound familiar? He's talking about the 10 plagues in Egypt. These miraculous things that God did to deliver the people out of Egyptian, the Egyptian's hand. And so it's so full of all of this imagery. He says, verse 13, you came out to deliver your people, to save your anointed one. Uh, you crushed the leader of the land of wickedness. You stripped him from head to foot with his own spear. You pierced his head when warriors stormed out to scatter us. Okay, picture this imagery. The, the, the Israelites are running from the Egyptians. They're, they're caught between the Red Sea and the desert, and they're getting ready to be run down. He says, when his warriors steamed out to scatter us, gloating as though about to devour the wretched who are in hiding. He says, you trampled the sea with your horses, churning the great waters. Habakkuk looks back. He says, remember, remember. Remember God's great power, and not just his power, but his, his faithfulness and his character. In fact, much of the Old Testament is actually written in this way where the leaders would say to the people, hey, guess what? You are prone to forget God's faithfulness, and so I'm going to remind you of what he's done in the past. And they would tell the story 
Tell the story of God's faithfulness. It happens in the Psalms. It it happens with the prophets over and over again, telling the story, reminding one another about God's faithfulness. Now, here's what I believe. I believe that one of the major functions of us coming together is not just to say, hi, how are you, but to step into one another's lives and remind each other about God's faithfulness in our past, to speak God's faithfulness that we've experienced before, to speak faith and to remind each other of God's faithfulness. I can't tell you the, the number of times that, that we've been in financial need. And then in, in our life group or in prayer, someone would say, man, I, I know you're experiencing that right now, and I know, and I care. But here's what I believe, because I've seen it true in my life, that when we had financial need and we called out upon God, you'll never believe how he how he dealt with our needs over and over again. And when I hear that and when I experience it, it builds up faith in me. We are a part of a faith community where we share God's faithfulness to one another. And I think a large part of what we're doing here is to fill each other up with courage. Don't give up. Don't give in. Don't let despair get you. Don't ask the what if questions. Ask the even if questions. Remember God is faithful. Trust in him. I know that you're barely holding on right now. I know that you feel like your faith is this big, but here's what I know. I know God delivered me, and your faith might seem small, so here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to loan you some of my faith because I've seen God deliver us in huge ways. And I believe he's going to work something out for you as well. That's, that's why it's so important that we come together and we share not just a, a hi, how are you, but we share our hearts with people. And we hear the burdens of one another and we can speak into how we process our faithful reactions to God. Here's why it's important that you show up at Life Group and you show up here not just because you need me to fill you up with faith, but because I need you to fill me up with faith. And other people need you to speak into their lives and be reminded of God's faithfulness. Habakkuk looks back and says, don't forget God's faithfulness. And that fuels his ability to look forward. Verse 16, he says, I heard and my heart pounded. My lips quivered at the sound. Decay crept in my bones. My legs trembled. God, when I heard everything that's about to happen, I feel so overwhelmed. But I'm able to look forward because of this. He says, yet I will wait patiently for the day of calamity to come on the nation invading us. I don't understand it. It doesn't seem right that the Babylonians would come. They're worse off than we are. I don't understand it. But he says, I will wait patiently. You hear the change in tone from the past couple weeks where he was just kind of like, God, I'm uncomfortable with this. I'm not okay with how you're calling the shots. He says, yet I will wait patiently. Your ways are higher than mine, God. So he goes from, from looking back to going to looking forward. God, you've never changed. You haven't failed us in the past. You won't fail us in the future. You won't start now. You're gonna hold the Babylonians to account. God, I believe in you. I trust in you. When I look back, I can look forward with confidence. King David did this as a young man when he approached the battlefield. And he walks up and he sees this Philistine who's, who's mocking the living God. And he says, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that would mock the living God? God delivered the bear and the lion into my hands. He will allow me to vanquish this person as well. He looked back and saw the faithfulness of God and it informed his future. 
some of us might feel like we're up against some giants and we're so quick to forget what has happened in the past and how God has delivered us. I can't tell you how often I've gotten spiritual amnesia like that where I'm, I'm, I'm crying out to God and I say, God, will you just like provide? We need, this is usually cars for us. I'm a card-carrying member of the rusty old car club. We've always had old rusty cars and I'm crying out, God, will you provide for us? And, and someone just like comes into my life and says, hey, you need help getting a car and they help us get a car. And two years goes by and our another car is dying and I'm just like, oh God, when will you come and help us? I feel so lost. What are we gonna do? I feel so overwhelmed. And it's like, did you just, did you, not, you, don't, you don't remember like, remember how, like, I've done this, I've supplied for you, not one, not two, not three, but four times with vehicles? Do you not think that I'm going to be able to provide for you in the future as well? We, we forget this stuff. The same God that miraculously helped us have a child in the first place is going to help you overcome this speech impediment they're having problems with. The same God that gave you a, a job in the first place is going to help you transition into a new position. The same God that helped you make it through school in the first place when you were a young married couple and you didn't know how you were going to do it is going to enable you to make it through these challenges you're having in your marriage right now. Because the past performance is a predictor of future success. And some of you are in a position where you have to hire people for work. I haven't had to do this a lot, but I know that as you look at people, you can do your best, and you look up their references, and you read them, and you interview them, and you do all this kind of stuff. But honestly, it can be a little bit of a toss of the dice. It's a little bit of a crapshoot. But you know the best way to figure out what it's going to be like in the future? It's to ask them what their past performance was. Tell me about an obstacle that you had to overcome and how you overcame it and what was the result of that. And you can start to figure out what it's going to look like to deal with this person in the future. A past performance is a predictor of future success. And Habakkuk would say, as we look back at what God has done, he's been faithful there. He's going to be faithful in the future as well. You'll be faithful again. And this is what it does to Habakkuk. Now as he's processing a bunch of unknowns, and maybe you've been in that situation as well where you say, God, I know I've seen you do something in the past. This feels different. And I don't know... What's on the other side of this, in this relationship or this financial situation? Can I really trust you? What if this happens? What if this person ends up in office? What if he leaves me? What if I'm never loved again? I know I've seen this before in the past, but God, this feels different. This is what Habakkuk learned. He learned because he looked back and he could look forward. It ultimately meant when he was faced with new circumstances that were outside of his control, he could choose to look up instead of down. To say, God, I can trust you no matter what. Listen to what happens. This is this beautiful bow. And I just want to sear it on your heart. I want to sear it on my heart in verse 17. This is what he says. He says, though the fig tree does not bud, Though I don't know what's on the other side of this, I don't know if the deal's gonna work out. I don't know if they're gonna accept me in, as a friend. Though the fig tree does not bud and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the field produces no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no, no cattle on the stalls, listen, listen, yet I will choose and I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God, my Savior. Not what if, but even if. 
even if the fig tree stops producing. It's fascinating. He goes from a fig tree to grapes to olives to the fields to livestock. Commentators talk about that's going from issues of luxury to issues of necessity. So even when I can't find the sneaks that I want, even when Home Depot won't deliver the fridge that we need and it's been on back order, <laughs> even when the AirPods don't come through, even when the luxuries aren't there, even if I lose my subscriptions and my preferred parking, even if I lose all of that, yet I will choose and I will rejoice in God. I, I think sometimes for me, so often, I'm just looking down. I'm looking at what's right in front of me. Will the fig trees be there? Will, will, what will happen with my 401k? If, if they're there, then I'm good. But if it's not there, you know, God, God I, I need you to prosper me. I need you to bless me. And when you do that, I'm going to follow after you and I'm going to worship you. But Habakkuk doesn't say that at all, does he? He says, he says what, take, take a look at what he says he's going to rejoice in. Go back to the previous slide there, Coda. Go back to the previous slide. He says, yet I will rejoice in what? In the Lord. Not I will rejoice when I get the job. Not I will rejoice when I finally get this thing. When the house comes through, when my sister starts talking to me again, when the clear path is before me, when I finally have deliverance from this mental issue, he says, I will rejoice in the Lord. Habakkuk has learned that he could be robbed from all his material possessions, from all of his comforts, from all of his blessings, and yet he can rejoice because he has faith, not in the blessings of God, but in the blessing of God himself. He's learned to not find a foundation in the choicest of foods, and the nicest of house, and the best of cars, and the staples of life, his joy came from God himself. Now, it's not wrong. It's not wrong to have the favor of God in your life. It's not wrong to enjoy the blessings and the benefits of God. Psalm 103 says, Praise the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who crowns you with love and compassion, who heals all your diseases. Praise the Lord, and forget not his benefits, right? But here's the thing. We should, we should never confuse the blessings of God with the being of God. Never confuse the blessings of God with the being of God. I've been married to Jennifer. We've had an amazing 20 years of marriage. I am madly in love. I'm amazingly blessed by her. My, way, my life is way better because Jennifer's in it. She does all sorts of things. She cares for me. She carries on certain household duties. She pays the bills. But here's the thing. It's a violation of that relationship if I confuse the benefits of Jennifer with the being of Jennifer. If the only reason I'm faithful to her is because of how she performs or how she does her duties or, or how she you know, carries, for the how, carries for the house and any of that stuff, if the only reason I'm faithful to her is because of what she do, does for me, I'm simply engaging in a transaction and she is no more than an employee. And so if she doesn't perform, then I can just nullify that contract and move on to something else. That's a violation of what a marriage is meant to be. It's why when we make a commitment, we say, in sickness and in health. When you can carry your weight and when you don't carry your weight. When you hold me up and when I need to hold you up. 
I'm going to be faithful. I'm going to be faithful. The alternative, the al- alternative is, is not covenantal love. It's contractual love. It's a, an employee relationship. But if I love her and I get joy in her, not just for her blessings, but in her being, I'm honoring her and I am enjoying the richest part of that relationship with her. If all we do is see God and appreciate him and follow him because of the blessings that he might bring in our life, here's what happens. The moment suffering and sorrow enters in your life, you're going to say, I'm out. I'm going to tap out right now. We're disappointed we get frustrated. That's what a what-if mentality brings. That's a contractual relationship. What if this enemy is never held to account, Habakkuk would say. And he shifted. He shifted. He says, he says Habakkuk, Habakkuk says, look, I, I'm not going to just rejoice in how the end is going to turn out. I'm going to rejoice in the Lord. He's going to be able to have joy no matter what he goes through. He's going to decide even if, even if the fig tree never puts out fruit, I will be joyful. Listen to how he turns and continues in 19. He says, the sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to tread on the heights. I watched a video as I was preparing for this. It was this dam that's in Italy, and it's made out of stone. And as the water has leached through this dam, and the dam walls are very, very, very steep, as they have leached through, what it did is it, it, it took away some of the sediment and some of the minerals that was in the rock started to leach and kind of cascade down the side of this very, very almost vertical wall. So the nearby goats they need this salt and these minerals that are in that rock. And so what they would find is someone looked over the side and they saw on this near vertical wall these goats that had climbed. Show this picture. Isn't this amazing? That's not a forced perspective. That's how steep it is. That they were able to climb a height in the most inhospitable environment because they have, a high, they have hinds feet in high places. They are sure-footed in inhospitable places. And that's what Habakkuk is saying. You're going to be able to go through life with hinds feet in high places, surely footed, when the scholarship doesn't come through, when you don't get accepted to the school, when that person says, I don't think I want a relationship right now, when your kids have the problem and you don't know how to overcome it, when you feel like your world is collapsing down around you because of something you did or something someone else did to you, Habakkuk was able to say, even if, even if, in the middle of all of this, I'm going to rejoice in God. And when I rejoice in him, he makes it so that I can put my feet in high places and have a solid rock and instable and inhospitable climates. So even if there's no harvest, I'm going to worship God. And not what if my friends laugh at me at school when I pray and follow after God. But even if my friends laugh at me when I choose to pray at school, I know God is going to help me. He's been there in the past. The ending of Habakkuk is beautiful. It begins with an interrogation of God, but it ends with an intercession. Worry has turned to worship. 
Fear has turned to faith. Terror has turned to trust. Hang-ups has morphed into hope. And anguish has melted into adoration. And what began with great question marks ended up being exclamation points. And you know what Habakkuk had to go through to get to that point? He had to go through some frustration. He had to go through some sorrow, maybe even some suffering in the middle of all of that. Because it's that great refining fire that makes you question what you really believe is true or not. When I was 18, I moved away from where I grew up. I would have graduated with 15 people in my class at this small school in Pennsylvania. I knew them very, very well. I spent 12 years, 11 years with them. When I was 18, before my senior year, I moved to the Midwest. Uh, my youth group was everything to me. It was my foundation. Spiritually, it was my foundation. And I ended up far away from that. And I remember going through this transition in my life, and I believe that every young adult has to go through this transition, where I had to ask myself this question because my foundation had shifted. This youth group that used to be there wasn't there anymore. And I had to ask this question, God, do I really believe in you because it was something that my youth pastor told me to believe or something my parents told me to believe or do I really believe it for myself? Because right now I feel like life has just shifted and changed for me. I don't know which way is up. The people I would have run to to give me comfort and help me process this aren't there anymore. What if it doesn't go back to the way it was before? And I entered about a two-year process of frustration, spiritual frustration, of sorrow, of some extent suffering as I transitioned to that point in my life. And I remember I came to this place where I had to say, even if it never feels the same way that it did before, even if I can't figure out what's on the other end of this, even if adulting doesn't get any easier, I'm gonna choose to follow after God and worship him no matter what. And I had to come to that place and I believe every young adult has to come to that place where they say, is this faith mine or is it my parents? And they have to come to the place where they say, not what if, not what if I can't answer all the questions of my profs, but even if I can't figure out every solution for the questions that I have, even if the scholarship doesn't come through, I'm gonna choose to follow after God. Habakkuk had that transformation. That's what he went through. His, his what-if faith was all about questions and concerns. His even-if faith was all about clarity and the character of God. So I just have to ask you this question. Are you a what-if person? Are you an even-if person? Do you have questions and concerns that are just constantly in front of you or do you fill your heart with clarity and confidence in the character of God? What I love about the Bible is that it's full of people who in a raw kind of way go through their own transformations, their own moments where they have to get to this place where they say, even if. That Abel would say, even if my brother hates me, I'm going to bring an, an offering that's acceptable to God. E Noah had to say, even if. They make fun of me, I'm still going to follow what God asked me to do. Moses had to say, even if I never step foot in the promised land, I'm going to love and I'm going to lead with diligence. And Esther 
said, even if the king would kill me, I'm going to go forward with confidence to save God's people. And Daniel, Daniel's friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in this fiery furnace where they were told they needed to bow down and worship this pagan king and this pagan God, they stood in the fiery furnace. We said, we believe that our God will deliver us, but even if he doesn't, we will not bow to you, they said. And so my question for those young people that are here is, will you develop that even if kind of faith? Because lots of questions will come your way, but will you develop that even if faith? And guess what, though? It doesn't get any easier as you get on in adulting, does it? Because there is always another question around the corner, always another thing that's going to overwhelm you. And Habakkuk says you can have your hinds feet in high places. You can be in inhospitable places and have confidence and rejoice and have joy. When Not when you rejoice in the things that go well, but when you rejoice in the character and the heart and the faithfulness and the steadfastness and the mercy and the love and the graciousness of a God that knows you and sees you and cares for you. Even if I will choose to worship you. When frustration doesn't go away and God's still enough. When we're waiting to be, for it to be fixed and the cancer doesn't go away. When you feel all alone because he left me or doesn't love me anymore we will still say, God, I will worship you no matter what. And when you're in the middle of praying, God, take this away from me, fix this, heal it, and you choose to say, I know God is at the center of everything. Christian maturity is that person who says, I will worship God. I will not just hope in him, but I will worship him in the midst of it all. You don't, you're not gonna have to go home to do homework today. It's going to be in church work. And I'm going to invite the worship team to come up here. And what I want to do is just intentionally create this space where we would say, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to choose to worship even if I don't feel like it. I'm going to raise my voice and I'm going to worship him in the middle of the unknowns. And you might say, you know what, I was with you with all like the think, believe in God kind of thing on there, but now you want me to get up and... I, I'm not a good singer. I don't do that. Look, look, God's word says make a joyful noise. It doesn't even have to be in tune, right? And you would say, and, and you say, maybe I'm not a worshiper. I would say, yes, you are, because I've seen you at football games, and you raise your hand and your voice all the time, right? We all worship something. Developing an even if faith says, even if I don't always see God's goodness, even if I'm going to wait on him, I'm going to choose to raise my hands and worship him. So we're, we're going to spend some time here both in prayer and this, intentionally in this moment in our own shiggy and off to create these moments of worship where we would choose to worship him. Let me pray and invite you into some reflection time for you to spend time with God here. And then we'll worship together with all, all our eyes closed and our heads bowed. We're intentionally creating some space here for you to do business with God. I would invite you and encourage you to go honestly with, before him and say, you know what, God, I, I recognize some spaces where I, I ask what if all the time. I don't want to. God, today, today I choose, even if. 
to know that each day is that choice over and over again to say, even if, even if, God, I will worship, I will lift you high. God, I, I just pray in this space, I pray for those folks whose faith is hanging on by a thread and they might feel like they only have a mustard seed-sized faith. God, you, are, you deal in mustard seed-sized faith and you react to those who call on you. So God, as we worship, would you melt away those doubts and replace it with, with faith in you? God, we love you. Would we all say and sing together, God, though the fig tree does not bud, though there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pens and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God, my Savior. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to tread on the heights. So God, even if, not what if, even if we will worship. We pray this in the name of God.